Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. This is Pat Reeve from Driven TV. You're listening to Living the Outdoors with Mark Druick here on The Score. From the Fast Sign Studios, more than fast, more than signs. It's Living the Outdoors with Mark Druick, presented by Fleet Farm. Be part of the show by calling 281-1570 or 866-653-1570. Now, here's your host, Mark Druick. Greetings and welcome to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druick. Thanks for tuning us in tonight. Glad to have you along. We are uh, getting ever so close to the uh, 2022 gun season. Next week we'll be coming to you live from Fleet Farm for two hours. And you can join us uh, then. You can stop by the the store or you can stop by the... Uh, Yep, stop by the store, check us out, ask any questions. Uh, Alex is going to be behind the boards here. Alex, are we going to take any questions? Uh, we can take questions next week, absolutely. That's all right. not a problem at all. Perfect, perfect. So we'll be ready to do all that. So Randy Brocktrop will be with us. We'll have uh, Brian Woodbury, the game biologist. We'll have a couple of wardens along. And uh, we're going to talk for two hours about deer hunting. But uh, tonight, got a couple of guys in here going to be talking about trapping. And I've got... Uh, Jim Bender, which is kind of a, a gentleman who's been on the show. I don't know, Jim, how many times you've been on now? I was trying to figure that out. Five or six, I think. Yeah, it's kind of like you've been the one of those multiple Saturday Night Live guests that. Uh, well, I'm makes shy. You know how that is. Yeah, I never I have anything to say. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. But um, yeah, Jim, we've been talking about trapping at least once a year for quite a while now, and I know we've had you on and we've had Randy on, and now you brought another guest. Uh, with you tonight uh, and uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce your d- guest and tell him uh, what your how you got to know him well my partner in crime tonight is uh, Steve Kruger and uh, Steve is a uh, uh, I guess we kind of hooked up because he keeps bees and so do I and so we we kind of co-op together but then uh, his son was one of my trapper's ed instructors and and we kind of leaned on him for a while and uh, eventually he uh is also an instructor, and, and we uh, we have some tales to tell, uh, kind of like John Hedke. Uh, you know, Steve seems to be there when I do something stupid, fall through the ice, or, you know. That's a my... lot, by the way. <laughs> 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 Boom, so, he's, he's cracking on you yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I tried to talk uh, Zach Seitz into coming, but uh, you've got him next week for two yes. hours. Yep. I, I trap with Zach also, and... and uh, so uh, there's uh, just a bunch of us. For, for, for me, trapping is not a private deal. It used to be that way when I was a kid, but now it's more of a social event. And so sure. I think Steve would agree that if we don't have fun doing it, and it can be 20 below zero, we're still having fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't be doing it. Right. Exactly. Well, Steve, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. I sure appreciate it. This is my second trip here, actually. I wish I could say I remember, but uh, you know, I, uh, I'm not as I'm not quite as stick in your mind like Jim. Oh yeah, Jim definitely has left an impression. I, yeah. It's hard to forget. <laughs> but um, you know, obviously, you know, you guys trapped together, as Jim had just stated. But um, 
let's kind of talk a little bit about what what made you get involved in trapping and what made you get involved in the outdoors. Well, I've always been involved out, outdoors with hunting and fishing since I was just a little kid. But And I used to trap when I was younger as a child, but then uh, life gets in the way of fun. You know, it's, then you get a job and then you can't have any fun anymore. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but I, I I always trapped and then my son Aaron, is a uh, was really did, got seriously into trapping and Jim he was one of Jim's students, uh, and became an instructor and uh, he kind of talked me into getting back into trapping and and uh, so I did and kind of got into it in almost too big a way. <laughs> uh, it, I mean we got more trapping equipment we could probably set a trap everywhere but uh and but we always you know we we used to trap together now jim and i do a lot of things together and one of them is trapping and like jim said we do bees together but uh i it's fun it's uh it's kind of rewarding and if you're going to do it for money don't do it because there's no money to be made in it okay but it's it's a good time uh and it's a lot of fun if you have a partner with you okay i mean i go out a lot of times i get up at you know old dark 30 in the morning and still go out and start checking traps and when you're by yourself, yeah, you do you do your thing and you check your traps. But when you got somebody with you, it breaks the monotony of the dull moment in between sets and in between, because you always give each other a little bit of berries about. Well, it's kind of a small one, isn't it? You know, <laughs> but, you know. right, right. You know. Steve can it, teach otters tricks. Now, I I don't have the ability to make otters jump over stuff. But all you need, if you want to have a, a performing otter, is to have Steve set a trap for an otter. That Any, anybody can just catch an otter in a, in a trail, Jim. It takes, I want it to be a challenge. <laughs> Three years now, I can't catch an otter. <laughs> but Mark, I knew got, there was an underlying something here. There, I got the most beautiful trails and, and slides right on the Wolf River. And do you think I can catch that darn otter? He, nope. he, uh, he, did, he does have a story to tell. I'll give the preface. Um, when you pull an otter in the boat, that's a beaver. I'm sorry, a beaver. When you pull a beaver in the boat, especially a beaver that weighs almost as much as you do, kind of get a little bit away from the edge. Otherwise, a lot of river comes in with that beaver. Steve, yeah, you're on. It's not good. It's not. It was like the 9th of December, about three or four years ago. Cold, cold, cold. Ice flows coming down the river, and we had beaver problems. So I went out. Jim had kind of given me some instructions on how to do this. And we found this new type of trapping device. So I put three, four of these trapping devices out, and I went out in the morning. I had to chop my way with the boat out into the open water so I could get to the traps. Mm -hmm. And ice flows are coming down the river, one right behind the other one. <laughs> so the first thing I do is I go out and I check the first trap, and it's kind of goofed up, so I... And these are 330 conibears. These are like major traps. So you, okay. get your, you know, you get your arm in them, you're in trouble. So the first thing that happens is I get my, my finger in the spring <laughs> trap. So now I'm struggling <laughs> to get my finger out of it. Now I got a oh sore boy. Now I got a sore finger. And I'm in a little boat. I got a little flat bottom boat that's about 30 inches wide and, and 12, 14 feet long. And I got a six horse Johnson motor on it. And now I go down and oh, I drove right by one trap. No, no beaver in it. I look up ahead of me and the other one is uh, the float is floating funny. I said, gonna be a beaver in that one. So I go over there and I'm, uh, and I'm excited now. This is my first beaver. I am super excited. So I grab the, the line and I go to pull that beaver in and I'm pulling them up. 
I get him up and I'm in a center seat. There's, there's the front of the boat, a center seat and the back seat. I'm in a center seat and I'm pulling him over the side and I'm, and I'm all by myself, which is a no-no. Now it's a no-no. And I'm pulling this beaver and I get looking and it, I mean, it looks like I got a 50 gallon drum on the end of this, in this trap. And I also happen to look about just before the water starts coming over the side of the boat. Now I'm in the Wolf River where ice flow is coming. If the water would have started coming over, I was going in a drink, and it was cold. And I mean, it was cold. And uh, but so I said I let go of the beaver quick. I walked, got around to the front of the boat, and I I wrestled that cotton picker in the boat. But I tell you, uh, it was a 53 pound beaver, wet, and heavy, and but it it it, it was fun, but scary by myself. And I, that's why I said have a partner with you it's a lot more fun well you know it, it oh my goodness that's as big as you are just about yeah <laughs> well not as fat but <laughs> <laughs> you know i think when you mentioned it's it's fun to have a buddy you know and and i think that applies to so many things in the outdoors obviously you know bow hunting doesn't qualify for that you really don't unless you're you know mentoring somebody or something like that and you're in a blind or whatever but you know, trapping, duck hunting, grouse hunting, even you know, gun hunting. You can you can somewhat do that with a partner if you want to. But, Absolutely. You know, when you take a look at that um, from so many different aspects, you know, and just mentioning the story that you just told us, uh, safety. Yeah. You know, I mean, and especially when you get you know, I mean, we're not, none of us are kids anymore. You know, and doing this stuff that we think we could have, you know, that we could have done twenty years ago doesn't come so easy you know and if you get injured or something like that i mean there's always that to consider and i talk about it all the time on the show is that you know when you get a little bit older you should never stop ever doing these things but you walk a little differently you don't you're not you know going in places that maybe you shouldn't go um getting stuck in the mud with waders on where you shouldn't be (laughs) and you know all of these things that you know when you're younger that's fine because you can physically deal with it but you know, some of that stuff and, can, can and be... And physically, uh, they can deal with a lot of us, us are no longer in prime condition. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little, it can be a struggle to get out of a... You, know, you talked about being stuck in the mud with waders on. I've already... I have a, a super black eagle. I've had to use my super black eagle as a brace in the marsh to get myself out because I couldn't lift my legs out of the mud. Years ago, that wouldn't have slowed me down, but, you know... <laughs> No, it's like a big suction cup. Those inflatable, like I have a Mustang. I I know you Mm -hmm. know what a Mustang is. I think Steve does too. Um, When I'm out on Winnebago or Poygan or or even just trapping, that is on underneath. You don't even know I have it. Mm -hmm. And I have one that's got the lanyard and the pill. Oh, okay. So even if I would be unconscious, as soon as it gets wet, it inflates. And um, I forget I have it on half the time. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I have ice picks that I should wear more than I do. Um, when I'm spearing, I have them, but I should have them when I'm trapping also, because there's more than once where I've had to claw my way out of a pond after breaking through and you know, the, the, the shore is icy. So you guys are right. Uh, I'm, I'm the young one in the room, I think. Um, uh, but, uh, boy, 60 hit and, and it gets tough. It, it, it definitely does. And, and I, I don't go anywhere near water without that inflatable on. It's even in front of my house. If I'm out retrieving a bird, it goes on. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't know. 
No. You have it on. They're so that's lightweight, why, but That's why they're called accidents, because you didn't plan on it. Yeah. So. Well, Not on you, purposes. No, but, you know, you when you're an outdoor person, you're always adding a little bit more risk to your activities. You right. know, uh, tripping on a piece of barbed wire, falling through the ice. I mean, we could talk about how many things can happen here for an hour, you know, but it's always... You, you, you plan a little bit more, you strategize a little bit more, um, you prepare for your conditions. You know, obviously now with duck season, starting to get a little bit colder. Some of the good hunting is going to start coming up now. I mean, it's been what, 70 degrees and birds are just starting to, to move now. So that water gets cold real quick. Yeah. So, you know, being prepared for all of that uh, is extremely important. And, and when we talk about trapping, let me ask you guys this. You know, I, I have never done it. I know Jim was... Um, you know, after me for a long time to come and take the class. And, you know, now, now that I'm retired, that might be something I want to do just to do it, you know, just to be a part of it, try it once, kind of like I want to shoot a bear. You know, I don't right. need to shoot one every year, but I'd like to go out and, and try it, see what it's like, experience it. Kind of like somebody saying, well, I've never been turkey hunting. Well, why don't, you, why don't you let me take you turkey hunting and you can experience it for yourself and figure out what it is. We get several retired people come to our trapping class every year. I, I, I teach a lot of classes with Jim, and I've taught uh, a few on my own and uh, with uh, with another uh, instructor. But He knows Steve Jordan. You know, yep. so Steve yeah, I know Steve very Steve, well. Steve Jordan and I you know, you know, kind of teamed up for uh, teaching some classes too. But I wanted to tell you a story about teaming up. Uh, I have my son, who's also a trapping instructor and a pretty darn good trapper, uh, two years ago, him and I teamed up and, and we went up north and we trapped a bobcat for him. But anyhow, his son, who just turned 12, took their trapping class last year. The year before last, I took him out. I went and bought him a pair of waders and we're going to trap muskrats. Him and I and his dad. So his dad has his sets. My grandson, his name is Jace. He's got his and I have one. So Jace and I... When, he came with me when we made the sets, and his dad, the pro. And uh, <laughs> I have a feeling Aaron isn't going to like this story when you're done with it. <laughs> he didn't catch any rats, but Jason and I did, and he was proud as a peacock. He had two rats, and he got pictures of him sitting there holding these two, of all things, muskrats, but it was something, you know. Sure. And that's the rewards you get from trapping. I mean, the animals are, are dispatched instantly, uh, and the kids understand it right away, and they understand why you're doing it and how you're doing it. And when they when they get the reward, when they get the trophy, it means something to them. It's 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 just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just that you know everybody, you know there's the there's the grail at the end, but there's always the quest and what it takes you to get to that point. And it's the journey. Yeah, the journey. Yeah, the, the the quest of where it takes you to get to whatever your grail is, whether it's a you know a, a big buck or a big turkey or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, when you when you talk about trapping now, um, as opposed to, do you see more of an influx of people wanting to get involved with it? Do you think it's starting to gain popularity? Or where do you see trapping at right we, now? It's, it's definitely on the incline. Um, it was stagnant for about two years um, because of COVID. Mm -hmm. We couldn't have okay. in-person classes. And the, the Trappers Association came up with the concept of Trapper's Ed. And I, I think we were one of the first in the nation, and in my opinion, the best in the nation. Um, but we still answer, and I partner with the DNR. Um, I'm the Trappers Association statewide coordinator, and then Aaron Kiso-Webb is the DNR. 
And so as such, some of their rules, such as no gatherings during COVID before we got a handle on it. Right. So yeah, it there was a lot of people that took it online and correspondence. Now, since that time, um, I've had every single class I've held has been full to, to the gills. Okay. Some of it has been people that took it online. And, and Mark, you can tell someone how to clean a deer, but that person isn't going to go out in the woods, kill a deer, and do a good job of cleaning it. Right. Same as trapping. You can learn it online, but if you really want to be proficient, you really ought to have a, I call it a butt in the chair class. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so people are taking classes that during COVID took it online and are now taking it a second time so they can set traps and, and, and skin animals and, and go out and um, experience all this until you snap your fingers a couple times or, or, you know, get your boot stuck in the mud. You know, Jim and one of our other uh, partners is, have made some tremendous films that you can look at it online and you can, you know, you can almost take that whole class, you know, with Jim mm-hmm. online. But until you get out there and work with us and digging holes and setting traps, bedding traps, wading in the water, looking at water sets, understand the, termino- the terminology and what it really looks like when you do it. Uh, the online stuff is great, but even if you took it online, for what it costs to take an in-person uh, class. Twelve bucks. Yeah, oh, and you know, the yeah. thing is, you get your hands on stuff. You oh, know, right. I mean, no, well, those of us skin. are up. We skin yeah. for four hours. I have a pile of stuff that I save. So if you want to skin a, rac- uh, a raccoon or a muskrat or a mink, I've got them there. And there's going to be, I have a ton of instructors that show up on Saturday morning to help skin. That's the hard part. And, and even if you know how to skin those animals, when you catch your first bobcat, my phone is ringing at 5 o'clock in the morning. And it happens not every day, but... Two, mm-hmm. three times a week, I get a call. Jim, I got my first otter. Jim, I got my first fisher, my first bobcat. Those seem to be the three that I get called for the most. Can you? Of course. Come on over. I drink black coffee. I expect a cup because I'm coming out and, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's like Steve says, it is not the same. And, and we have a great correspondence course. Mike Widener runs that program and the online and he does, if it wasn't for him during COVID, we wouldn't have stayed afloat. Mike just, oh, he was phenomenal. And, and on that note, the people that I get to work with, you know, I'm the coordinator, so, so I get patted on the back, but I have instructors that don't know how to say no. And we don't get paid anything. We're volunteer for everything. And so um, if I put it out there, I have a Google group for the Trapper's Education Program. I send it out there, um, uh, search and rescue. Um, I don't know if it's a police faction or whatever got a hold of me and said, hey, we want somebody to come down and teach us how to get our dogs out of a trap if they get caught, if we're trailing somebody or whatever. Mm -hmm. I put it out there. I had 16 responses within two hours of people saying where and when. Really? Okay. And these are volunteers. They don't get mileage. They don't get anything. And uh, the, the, the one, the irony of it all is people applied for and got bobcat tags, fisher tags, and otter. Well, otter, everybody gets tags now. But all of a sudden now they're thinking of it. And the number one complaint I have is there's no Trapper's Ed classes in the month of November, very few in December. I teach one in January, but it's the only one I know about. Well, why do you suppose that is? <laughs> <laughs> you might be trapping. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, they're volunteers. 
so um, you know, for the people to wait until the last minute, you know, you know how your poor planning doesn't constitute an emergency on my part, kind of thing. Sure. So I do my best to explain, hey, these are these are volunteers. They're not getting paid, and they yeah. are the salt of the earth. When I was a kid and I grew up. Uh, the trappers were the sneak around and not let anybody know where they were trapping or how they were trapping or how they caught stuff. And you probably remember those days, you know, so-and-so is a trapper and you ask him about it and he wouldn't tell you anything. Right. That's changing. And these men and women that I work with are just, they'd give you the shirt off their back. That's, and that's the, the true essence of the sport is that, you know, you pass that along, you get people involved uh, somewhere along the line and, you know, continue to develop and maintain that stewardship of the outdoors. And, and you guys both know, and I know, how important um, the element of trapping is um, to the environment. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that go into that. And I think what we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about more, more about that. So, hey, listen, just keep us tuned in here to Living the Outdoors on the score. Welcome back to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Drew. Glad to have you along with us tonight. Jim Binder and Steve Kruger are joining me here, and we're talking about trapping. And we left off, guys, um, you know, talking about how essential, you know, uh, trapping is. I think there's a lot of misunderstood elements that go in there. People just think that it's something other than what it is. But if not for trapping, we'd have some uh, some serious varmint issues. We, yeah, it was interesting. I had, uh, there's a rehab center not too far from me, and, and uh, the person that runs it is not a big fan of trapping. And um, I, it got to me this year that uh, they were quite upset that they weren't seeing the, the, the turkey poults that they had seen in the past. And that's a direct result of raccoon prices. Plain and simple, we are overrun with raccoons right now. There is no value in a raccoon very little um maybe end of november the big coon i heard grunwald fur buyers are are suggesting that uh, some of the the three and four x might bring a little bit of money but um the fact is all of those raccoons skunks possums uh predate ground nesting birds and as such we have removed the apex predators now we could argue that there's too many wolves we're not going to go down that road uh, mountain lions. There's that many mountain lions. Bobcats are starting to come back. Mm-hmm. I think there's a fair fair population of them, but the apex predators, the things that would prey on the raccoons, just really simply don't exist. And so um, when you talk about the carrying capacity of, uh, well, let, let me let me give you a couple terms. You know, the the birth rate, natality, and the, and the death rate, mortality. Um, it sort of defines the population. Well, the carrying capacity of a piece of land is how many animals can live on it year round. And you always have animals coming in, animals going out. You have animals dying by disease, by accident, hunters getting hit by cars, things like that. Well, if you've got this piece of land that can support, say, 20 raccoons, well, you know, February rolls around, mommy and daddy raccoon have that little raccoon hug, mm-hmm. and then come around April, guess what? We've got more raccoons. Well, we're exceeding the carrying capacity. The number of raccoons above the carrying capacity for that land is the harvestable surplus. As responsible trappers, that's what we try to take from a piece of property. We don't want to take every single raccoon. Right. 
just the ones above the carrying capacity, the number of raccoons that could live happy, healthy lives in that area. So, um, you know, the idea of catching every single animal walking on the face of the earth would be self-defeating. Right. I don't well, want to do that. That takes us also, like you talk about muskrats, uh, we trapped some nice marshes a few years, two years ago, Jim and, and Steve Jordan and I, and and uh, we moved in. I can't even remember how many traps we set. Uh, the first day we got several rats. Uh, second day we got several rats. Third day we got fewer rats. Fourth day we got only a few rats and we pulled out because we don't want to take them all. We right. want to leave some rats there. So. Sure. Yeah, you, it, you know. That that's this. You want it. It's not unlike any management tool. Deer hunting. It is a management tool. It, it is. You have to have the, the like you said. The land can only support X amount of animals. Right. You know? And like you said, there's possums, there's skunks, and there's raccoons, and they're all egg eaters. They're nest robbers. Yes, they are. And every, you hear it across the country uh, about you know the decrease in the turkey population. And and when you mentioned that. I don't know why they're not even look beginning to look at that, or if they are, why are they not looking at it a little more intensely? As the you you know it, it's there's just when you you see pictures of guys posting up on on social media with twenty raccoons at a at a bait site. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, twenty raccoons. That's a lot of raccoons in one, and they didn't travel for miles to get there. I'm sure. So, right. you know, you take that in, you know, a 40 acres and then an 80 acres and 120 acres, drive from here on Highway 45 all the way up through Marion, through Clintonville, New London, and count how many ditch tigers are laying on the road. And that's a direct reflection of fur prices. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact we lost one of the biggest fur buyers, um, NAFA, which used to be Hudson Bay, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, some of the uh, import-export issues that are going on with some of the countries that used to be the big buyers. But the fact that raccoon prices are down, you can tell that just by the number of dead raccoons on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. Because if they were worth something, people would hit one and then somebody would stop and pick it up. Okay, <laughs> Especially those big ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So Mus Muskrats were the same way a few years ago. I mean, when muskrats were worth some money, somebody would hit one. Somebody, it wasn't, it wouldn't lay on the road for an hour and somebody would have it. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's, and, and it just, it's mind boggling to me um, that that's something they are not taking steps to, to do something. Well, and we're starting to see um, the, oh, we used to call them the oats and goats crowd. I don't know what you would call it. The, the people that tend to want to uh, forage and mm -hmm. eat more natural stuff and be more environmentally um, friendly. And we're starting to see them realize that this is a renewable resource. And so as such, instead of saying trapping is bad, they're saying trapping is a way for me to get fur to wear, meat to eat, uh, manage my property and mm -hmm. things like that. And, and that's been a big swing in the last 10 years. Um, I have people taking the course just to catch beaver to eat, things mm -hmm. like that. And and I like that because the more, when I catch a beaver, the skull goes one place. The casters go somewhere else. I skin the tail. That gets used. Um, I keep the fur. And quite honestly, I eat the meat. 
Um, we make sausage. We uh, we make stir fry. We make fajita. Uh, my wife is an incredible cook. And and I used to think you had to cook anything wild until it was brown all the way through. <laughs> and, um, you know, her, her, is, her way of doing thing is, is she's a big fan of olive oil and low and slow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, that's sort of a change, and I like seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a fur garment is a three-generational item, okay? And somebody asked me to justify fur over wool. Well, that's simple. <laughs> that raccoon came from the wild where he lived, and he was there naturally. That sheep was living in a field that used to be woods that the raccoon lived in before somebody cleared it and put a fence around it and raised sheep. Nothing against wool. But it is not as green and ecologically friendly as a raccoon hat is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then I like what you're saying that people are starting to find those grassroots things and get back to the earth and foraging understand is that getting foraging is huge. It's huge now, and 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 you know I I'm sure you do. I I look for morels in the spring. Who doesn't? Yeah, you know. If you're a hunter. You're looking for. <laughs> when I'm looking for horns, horns and morels. <laughs> yep, that comes same at the same time. Out. You know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the opportunities we have, and and uh, I've been accused of overdoing my praise of the DNR. I went to Stevens Point, which is where all the good DNR workers come from. Exactly. And oh uh, <laughs> so so uh, I I heard a program on on one of the public radio stations where there was a gentleman talking about. Uh, the DNR mismanaging the fur bearer resource in Wisconsin, specifically beavers. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? Come up the Wolf River sometime. Just drive across 54 in the swamp by Foster's Marsh mm-hmm. or, or get the phone calls I get in the spring. And then he further, further, you know, of course, you know, the, they're doing all this bad stuff. It's been implied that this, this, and this. And, and I'm thinking, what are you looking at? Well, he wants to make a refuge in the southwest part of the state of Wisconsin, okay? Well, are you familiar with the Illinois fox down in Racine, Kenosha, that mm-hmm. area? Okay, yep. there's a whole lot of beavers in there causing a whole lot of problems. And if you've got one of those houses on there and they're chewing down your trees, mm-hmm. do you want a refuge? <laughs> no. Now, they are indigenous animals, but in a trout stream, a beaver can totally change the whole ecosystem, the flora and fauna of that whole system. In the Wolf River, they're mostly bank beavers. They're not damming the Wolf River. Mm-hmm. But in the north branch of the O'Connell, I'll just grab that one, they dam that and they back it up. For one year, the water may be cool enough to support trout. But then the plant life changes, the insect life. Yeah, the wood ducks like it. But now you've got chubs and suckers instead of brook trout. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you've also flooded some land. So I'm not saying that I want to kill every beaver. I don't. I enjoy trapping beaver. I also like eating. Beaver meat is great. Mm-hmm. But as far as the DNR mismanaging, I'm not sure. I would really love to, and I, I don't remember the person's name. I would really love to debate them on it, where they're getting their information from, because the opportunities we have. Fisher, when you were a kid, were there fishers? I saw one. How about Martin? No. No. Uh-uh. Turkeys? No. Nope. Nope. Okay. Was the, was the deer as heavy as, and thick as they are now? No. Nope. And yet people are, I, I hear this, this bad-mouthing and intimating that they're doing a bad job of managing, and I'm going, the opportunities we have in this state 
are incredible. So I'm a I'm a big fan, and I, I do get accused of that. And of course, I'll I'll get down off my soapbox now. But I don't see that that you know beaver need to be protected right now. I, no, I especially when you take a look at how we were talking about that before we came on the air. I've had my um, dealings with them and how destructive they can be. And it's exactly what happened to me. They changed the whole environment. You know, it goes from being, you know, a creek bottom to an overflowing pond full of wood ducks and the, the trees. And the silt comes and in silt and comes sediments. In and, yeah, and, and it just changed everything. And, it, you know, that for, for deer hunting, it wrecked my whole year because it changed all their trap. They couldn't run that creek bottom anymore. So they had to pick one side or the other, mm-hmm. and unfortunately for me, they weren't on my side, and they couldn't get across. <laughs> but, you know, when, when you talk about that, and I think sometimes people just need to fully understand, you know, they look at it from their perspective of, well, you know, we want to save this, we want to do that, we want to preserve this, we want to prove that, preserve that. But, you know, the, it, again, then there becomes this unbalance of too many things. And we're the cause. We are, yeah, don't, exactly. don't get me wrong. We are the cause. We removed the apex. Right. And there's a lot of animals out there that would eat beaver meat. Are we up? Yeah, uh, in a minute. You know, that would eat beaver meat if we had a, a more sustainable population of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't. So now it falls on us. Right. Okay. I, I would rather have a cool, clear clean running stream you know with a gravelly bottom than a silted in muck pond with you know bog weeds yeah full of full of bugs and right stuff that's really not the way it's intended to be because you know we all we all know how they uh how they operate they have to chew Mm -hmm. and they chew a lot of stuff and they need to be underwater in the winter so that's why they build the dam to back up the water so then they can cut down trees and make a food supply in a house either in a bank or in in a you know a hut and um, I mean, talk about manipulating your environment. They're they're the kings. Yeah, they're they're destructive, to say the least. All right. Well, listen, we're gonna go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show right here on the Score. Back to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on the Score. I'm your host, Mark Drew. Hey, if you want to chime in. It's 281-1570 or 866-653-1570. We'd love to hear from you. You can also email me at uh, livingtheoutdoorswi.gmail.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. I appreciate all the kind words and the comments, and I also appreciate the opportunity uh, to make connections with people to get involved in the outdoors. You can also follow me on Instagram. It's outdoorslivingthe. This is my busy time of the year i'm most active now and now that i'm retired i'm a little bit more active which is really kind of cool i'm digging that in a real big way <laughs> but jim binder and steve kruger are, are joining me here tonight we're talking about trapping and you know we kind of talking during the break about you know how important it is and what a great management tool it is because you know we all of us have been aware of some situation at some point in time in the outdoor world where you get a disease outbreak and now population is just decimated or you've got a protected endangered species like the black-footed ferret. Right. Um, they had a whole bunch of my uh, my college cohort do some trapping so that they could introduce them, and they wanted to make sure there were no badgers or coyotes and so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of animals get relocated through foothold trapping. So um, it's definitely a management tool, but it's also uh, a stop 
I don't want to say a stopgap, but it's a an insurance policy against that. I mean, a few years ago, we had a, a bad distemper outbreak and, and uh, mange. You know, when, when you when you see a, a coyote that's dying of mange, it just tears my heart out. Mm-hmm. That's an animal just waiting to die, and, and they die of exposure. Um, if they get it in the summer, they can usually get through it. If they get it in the winter and they scratch all their hair off, well, you see a, a, a hairless coyote. It just, oh... It, it's a pitiful thing to see. Yeah, it just to watch an animal suffer like that um, under any circumstances due to disease or, um, you know, to, to suffer is far worse than, than you know, using the management tool and harvesting them and, and making use of it. Because, yes, obviously they get back into the earth and worms and all that other kind of stuff have to eat as well. But, um, you know, when you, when you have these huge populations, it just you're increasing your odds in my, in my opinion, I'm no expert. I'm no wildlife biologist, but you know, just death look by, at the numbers. Death by Jim Bender is swift and certain. Yeah. Death by mother nature cruel. can be long drawn out and cruel. And as such, um, when I was younger, I probably did take pictures of animals that were live in the trap. Now I don't see it that way. Right. I see an animal in the trap that needs to be, you know, euthanized and mm-hmm. I do it as as quickly and and uh, with as much compassion as I can and and I guess I, I I have another example that I give people when I take a raccoon out of a population I don't do that raccoon any favors I have euthanized him I've killed him mm-hmm. however let's say there were 10 raccoons living in that location now there's nine there is one tenth more food for each raccoon because I took him out and I'm going to, I owe it to him to utilize him, whether I use the meat or the skull or the fur or whatever. Um, and so I don't just, it's not a wanton willy nilly, you know, slaughter. Right. And, exactly. and quite honestly, I do have feelings. I, I feel it when I euthanize an animal, Yeah, you but know, it's part of it. It is. And that, that is the, the definition of a true outdoorsman or sportsman, if you will. Um, there isn't an, an, a bird, a, a deer, or anything that I haven't harvested that I didn't have, you know, get emotional. It's just, it, it's a different, you know, there's a difference between being a sportsman and a killer. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, right and, and when I was in my younger days, I, I'm a little ashamed to say that, but that I just wanted to kill something. But it's not like that anymore. You mature, you go through this cycle. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I got to shoot my limited ducks. I got to shoot my this. Otherwise, it's not, you know, the the trip is not complete or, you know, I didn't have a good time. I don't have to shoot anything anymore. I just don't. I've I've come full circle. If I'm walking the trails and, and I put up a few birds and I get an opportunity, if I take one or two, great. But that's not why I'm there. Right. You know, you take a different attitude and a different approach towards um, you know, harvesting an animal, you know, it's, and it's, it's weird for me because any, any birds that I, I harvest, I don't just like whip them around and throw them in the back of the truck, like a, you know, like a, a log, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I treat them with respect. And I think that's that whole thing that you're, you're talking about as well is this, there's whole this respect for these animals. You're, you're going into their backyard and you're, you're taking their life, but you're doing something positive with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, part of the management program it's like that for for everything you know that's why these when you speak you know of the dnr that's why all these programs are in place so that 
these opportunities can be presented to the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that so they can enjoy some of these outdoor activities that we have without implementing something there it is, would be an issue there is a class or a way to learn about every single outdoor activity that the DNR manages through the DNR. Mm-hmm. Uh, my counterpart, Aaron Kiso Webb, uh, went and took a learn to duck hunt course. Absolutely. And um, I mean, I didn't even know that existed. Um, and I see, I was looking the other day and I saw something about a prairie, uh, building your own prairie. And I thought, wow, how far have we gone? I wonder mm-hmm. how many other states have this. Yeah, you know? exactly. And one of the things that I, I, I I have to blow our own horn. The Trappers Association has a group of women instructors that got together, and we now have a women's trap camp Nice, taught by women for women. It's exclusive. They made it very clear, even though it was kind of my brainchild, that uh, while they would take any help and assistance I wanted to give, I was not welcome. So uh, last year, their their uh, wild game feed was beaver that I had caught and bobcat, and uh, I smoked some catfish for them, and I get as much uh, you know stuff for them as I can as far as materials. In fact, uh, recently I, I raised funds and bought them. They have their own trailer. Um, nice. But they have gotten <clears throat> nationwide acclaim, and the ladies have done a phenomenal job. And um, they were on the cover of just about every single trapping magazine. And I know that the one that they weren't on, they're going to be on very soon because uh, I got some, uh, some information for them. But uh, the, the instructors, if you don't mind, Sky Good, uh, Jenna Malnowski, uh, Jody Hammerla, Caitlin Kurnoski, Bridget Bazil, Aaron Kiso Webb. And they were recognized as Instructors of the Year and... Um, we're very proud of them. And I have gotten calls from other states saying, hey, how did we do this? Can we borrow the idea? And of, of course, absolutely. And then the women that took the course are, I'm getting pictures and emails. And I'll tell you what, they're out trapping some of the guys that, uh, you know, awesome. a, lot of, a lot of coyotes, a lot of coyotes. That seems to be the thing the women like. And to me, the coyote is the hardest animal in Wisconsin to catch. Wolves, uh, aren't that hard to catch and bobcats and fisher and otter but coyotes if you start start catching coyotes you're accomplished and these women have been sending me pictures and i'm i couldn't i feel like a proud father Mm -hmm. you know well and that's so cool because that's getting more people involved and Mm -hmm. when when you get the women who take you know, are empowered to do this. That's how it was explained to me was that this is an empowering thing. And yep. Jim, if you're there, even though you might be the kindest Alan Alda individual in the world, it's not the same. Exactly. So please. And, and, and it was respectful. And of course I, I'm, I'm probably making more out of it than it was, but uh, I kind of understand. I get that. Absolutely. And so, like I said, it's, and they listed online and literally the class 40 spots fills up within a couple hours that's awesome so yeah you know and then that's just and sometimes women will relate much better to other women and that's and if that's the way it has to be that's great you you'd like to see that instructional aspect across the board mm-hmm. you know um and you realize that when you become when you participate in one of these programs and become a mentor uh you you understand that a little bit more 
And it's it's hard to describe sometimes, but I, I know, I, I think you and I have had this conversation. I know Steve's this way, but if I was to take out uh, Crazy Red here, deer hunting, <laughs> right? And he was to shoot a monster buck, bigger than any buck I'd ever shot in my life, okay? And I had something to do with him getting it. Mm-hmm. That would empower me as if I had shot it myself. Right. And there's a lot of people that don't get that. Mm-hmm. I agree. But when you when you get when I get the students calling me saying, "Hey, I caught a bobcat. Can you help?" Absolutely. That's part of it. Is because I'm taking. I don't want to say I'm puffing my chest. But I had something to do with this person learning how to do it. And maybe it was just the encouragement or the passion that I passed on. But that empowers me. And it, it just, I, I'm coming up on five years as the state coordinator. It went by like a snap of my fingers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I do have to fight battles once in a while. And I, I do step on toes because of my personality. But, uh, um, yeah, I, Jim, you're exactly right. And we say this. I close my show every week with the power that we have to impact people's lives through the outdoors is so much more powerful than, than we understand. Right. You know, because you're taking and you're, you're taking your knowledge and experience and you're, you're passing that along. I loved when I was doing the learn to turkey hunt program, I, I would be the first one to say, I'll take the ladies. Oh, absolutely. You know, they listen better than the they, guys. They listen better. They're attentive. and There's no you know, testosterone issues. Oh, yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> I, I, I absolutely loved it. And I think that's what's I'm, – I'm starting to see that, that you know, more and more in the outdoors that that the the women getting involved and being these huge influences um, in the outdoors is just it, – it's spreading. I, I, I would like to see it go a lot farther because that's just more people we have in our – in our army of, of conservationists, you know, you talk, to keep about, this going. you talk about women in the outdoors, you know, I've been trapping with Jim for several years now, and I've yet to see Jim clean a skunk. Now my son, my oldest son, the pro, as I call him, he's cleaned a skunk and got sprayed in the face. But I watched Sky Goody clean a skunk and extract and this is uh, as you know most people would say women don't want nothing to do with this skinning stuff well she not only skinned the skunk but she extracted the, the essence out of the scent from the skunk's glands i mean this is this there you is, go this is stuff that you know i mean if you want to learn how to do this stuff that lady is phenomenal <laughs> i mean she, she, she is <laughs> and she's a and she's a good sport you know we we uh if she was in here talking, and and I, I would have asked her to come instead of Steve, because you know she's way prettier than he is. It doesn't but, take much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, she she lives four counties away. Um, but uh, we did uh, we have a skinning demo days at the Binder Farm, and if I think of it, Mark, I'll let you know. And and a bunch of us get together with a bunch of animals, and we just it's free. Yeah. Just show up, and we'll teach you how to skin. And uh, she called. We wanted to do Fisher. She wanted to do Skunk. Obviously, I lost that fight, right? I, right. I know when to fight my battles. But uh, we did put her downwind. But at the <laughs> end at the Perfect. end of the day, yeah. the number one thing that people appreciated the most was Sky Skunk demonstration. And awesome. um, I've got a couple in my freezer just waiting for her for, for this next summer. Perfect. All right, well, listen, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap it up here on Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show on The Score.
All right, welcome back to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druick. Got a couple minutes left here. Uh, Jim Bender and Steve Kruger are joining me. We've been talking about trapping. You can always go back um, and listen to the podcast. If you missed any of these, you can go on to thescorewi.com. You can pick those up there. And uh, it's also on iTunes. You can go onto that and, and download it, and you can pick up all kinds of fun stuff uh, from the past. But, Steve, we're going to kind of close it out a little bit, um, talking about the, you know, obviously the class and what it takes and, and how do you get involved. So maybe you can uh, share that with the listeners, please. Well, the classes themselves, are the instructors are typically are very uh, very knowledgeable, and they, 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 we all do a lot of hands-on. But if you want to have a class or you want to find out how to get a class set up, all you really are, if you go to the back of your trapping regulations book, and if you don't have one, just go online or go to the local sporting goods store and pick one up. Jim's name, number, birth date, driver's license number, <laughs> credit card, credit card number, everything's in the back of the trapping regulations. And, uh, and if you contact Jim, he'll set you up with with a with an instructor somewhere close by. We uh, we've had uh, high schools will call us uh, from they have a class. Typically, it's an agricultural class. They want to have trapping as part of that uh, that curriculum. Uh, we go to high schools. We we go to we'll just go to your clubhouse if you have you know. But you gotta you, you have to have enough attendees for us to drive any distance you know to come jim, jim and i went down to uh fort mccoy, Camp, fort mccoy one year uh taught a whole bunch of in fact some of the guys there was a federal game warden there taught these guys about trapping because they nice. they're, they're guys on the reg on the military bases wanted to know trapping sure uh, because of the varmints you know they have you know they're they're varmints and that's what they really are we get a lot of calls on newts trapping but if you want a class, get a hold of Jim. Uh, just about any instructor is would be happy to help you and get you set up and ready to rock and roll and put a class together. How long and does the class all, take? All the information is uh, supplied by, by us also. Okay. A class, class. we can do a class in a day, or we can, if we really get have a lot of fun with it, we can make it last two and a half days. Okay. Generally, the, the, the minimum is 12 hours, and um, I don't know if it's statutory, but I... I I think we set it as minute. Uh, we set it as uh, twelve hours. Uh, Sixteen is about what the average is. So a Friday okay. night, we try to get the classroom out of the way. Saturday is the hands-on. Sunday's the wrap-up. Very interesting, and and you know, I wish we had more time to get into all the different you know types of traps and stuff. But that's why we're encouraging people to take the course. You want to find out more. And this is there the way to is, do it. if they go on the Wisconsin Trappers Association YouTube page. There are, I'm going to say, 35 um, YouTube videos. I made a lot of them. Um, I have a friend, Bob McMillan, who donated the time, but they're there. Go and watch them. Steve? Okay. The, the importance of a class is, keep in mind, trapping is the most regulated outdoor sport there is in the state of Wisconsin with all the trap types and, and dates and seasons. All right. Good to know. Gentlemen, thank you both for taking oh, Mark, the time to join us thank you for here. having us. Yeah, absolutely. It's always, it's always fun, isn't it? It is. All right, everybody, uh, thanks for taking the time to tune us in here on Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show. And remember, if you ever have the opportunity to impact somebody's life through the outdoors, take advantage of it. I guarantee you it will make you a better person. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Have a great evening and live life in the outdoors. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. 
This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit